listening to the Coronavirus Diaries, Human Rights in the Age of a Global Pandemic, a series of online conversations with experts hosted by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. The Institute is Canada's leading think tank, working at the intersection of human rights, conflict, and emerging technologies. As we watch the global pandemic unfold, this series will look at what impacts the coronavirus will have on human rights, geopolitics, and democracy, and what role technology and disinformation will play. Today, I have the honor to speak with a friend and colleague, uh, Jean-Nicolas Beuze. He's the UNHCR representative in Yemen. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Hello, Marie. Happy to be in contact with you after three years in Canada. I'm now posted in Yemen, but I'm happy to reconnect with, uh, with Canadians and, and beyond to speak about the coronavirus impact in, uh, in Yemen. So yes, today we want to speak about the impact of the virus, but also the ongoing conflict. So that's something I would like to start with. Um, even before the pandemic happened, can you perhaps remind us uh, what the situation was and what the conflict was a little bit about? I know it's very complex, so um, you don't have to go on for 10 minutes, but just a little bit of information. So just uh, geographically, to remind everyone, uh, Yemen is at the bottom of the Arabian Peninsula. And for the last five years, it experienced uh, a, a conflict uh, which has not uh, stopped uh, due to the coronavirus or due to the uh, ceasefires uh, call from the Secretary General and any other uh, important personalities. So we are in the middle of a five years conflict. It's opposing uh, three main groups, but uh, to simplify, it's uh, between the north and the south. Uh, issues of independence, issues of control of uh, oil production, issue of control of the port on the Red Sea. And uh, as often in this part of the world and elsewhere, um, what was initially a domestic uh, issue uh, involving in particular different tribes having different uh, uh, vision for the future of Yemen. It became rapidly a regional and even a global conflict and now the war in Yemen is a proxy for the competition between different regional powers and, uh, and, and even the global powers. Um, the conflict has displaced one out of eight Yemeni uh, it's the fourth largest internal displacement due to conflict in the world after Syria, Colombia, and Congo. Mm. Um, it's a conflict uh, which has destroyed all the health facilities and the infrastructure, road, school, uh, in addition to the, to the hospital, as I mentioned. Um, and as a result, 80% of the population, and the population is 30 million, relies on humanitarian aid for their daily survival, 80%, which uh, made the UN call Yemen the worst humanitarian crisis. Mm -hmm. So I guess the situation even before the pandemic was already very, very complicated for you and the fact that you don't, there is no infrastructure and that you have to reach those populations that I suppose live in cities. So the population lives uh, partly in cities, but also in 1,700 uh, sites, which are hosting those families which have been displaced by the conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, we are speaking about 42 active front line as of today. 
which is uh, definitely an element to take into consideration for us humanitarian because we will never put our own staff or our partner staff, mainly uh, Yemeni NGOs, at mm -hmm. risk by sending them close to the conflict. But the civilian population live near those front lines and is at risk permanently of being a collateral damage, uh, if not a direct uh, target sometimes, of uh, the fighting uh, in Yemen. It's complicated because um, the country being at the bottom of the Arabian Peninsula is well served by a port, but there has been an embargo on Yemen and therefore everything that you need to bring to the country uh, from medicine to plastic sheeting tents to uh, uh, build those emergency shelter becomes a, a logistical nightmare. Um, the roads are difficult. You need to cross front line between the north and the south to bring uh, vital uh, items. And it's very uh, complicated to reach those who are close to the front line, but also to reach those who are in the cities. A number of... Um, uh, Yemeni displaced families, but also we have 280,000 refugees in Yemen. Uh, that sounds really uh, incredible to think that people will try to seek refuge or asylum in a country like Yemen, but 280,000 of them, mainly coming from Somalia, have found a shelter in Aden and in uh, Sana'a, the big cities, where they live really in extremely impoverished and dire situation. I visited one of the poorest neighborhoods of, uh, of Aden, and um, I've been to the favelas in Brazil, I've been to many parts of, uh, of uh, Africa, in Congo, but the misery I've seen in this uh, impoverished uh, neighborhood of uh, Aden is beyond what I had seen previously. Mm -hmm. And how i mean now we have the 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 covid 19 crisis and we know that the important things are you know social distancing and sanitation and you know being healthy so i guess it's only making the situation worse and how many cases do you currently have do you think so let me start with uh, an important point marie that you mentioned all those preventative measures that we have applied in the western world are it's not actually possible. Impossible, absolutely impossible. Um, first of all, there is no running water. So when you say uh, wash your hands regularly, yes, but you have to fetch water probably by going for 30 minutes uh, uh, to, a, to a water point. And when you bring back the water, maybe you will use it to wash your vegetables or your food rather than to wash your hands. When you say practice physical distancing, absolutely impossible. We have people living uh, in one single room, different families, uh, or under plastic sheeting tents. You cannot isolate yourself. And if one member of the family is sick, the, that member will stay with you mm -hmm. because there's, no, there's not a second room where that person can go. Uh, even for those who live in urban centre, the tradition in the in the Middle East is that you live with your grandparents, your uncle, your cousins, and and therefore there is no possibility for them to 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 practice any uh, physical distancing. But one thing which is also very important: stay at home, which is probably the the best uh, preventative measures, is impossible for people who rely on the little money they get 
in the afternoon mm -hmm. to feed their children at night. Mm -hmm. They don't have money in the bank or under the mattresses to be able to survive even one single day. They live from the money they get during the day. With the slowing down of the economy that we have seen here in, uh, in Yemen, like anywhere else, those displaced families and those refugees are the first one to lose their job. They mm -hmm. were working in unskilled uh, labor position in markets, uh, in little restaurants, selling things on the street. This economy has completely collapsed. Mm -hmm. So there are no survival uh, means. Now, in terms of the... Um, the coronavirus spread, it's very difficult because the authorities in the South are um, releasing public information about uh, people who are tested positive and the death. Because we have very few uh, testing, cap uh, very little ca testing capacity, uh, we measure or they measure only the tip of the iceberg. In the North, the authorities have decided not to release any information. Um, partly because they feel that it will uh, frighten the population, partly because they probably were afraid of not having put in place and not having had the means to put in place preventative measures. So we have really very little information about the number of cases. What we know is that because of everything I mentioned before, which means that people cannot protect themselves against the coronavirus, but because people eat only once a day, because people have not been vaccinated, because their immune system is already very low, we know that the coronavirus is spreading very fast and killing a lot of people. The, uh, we receive reports that people are being buried at night because there's really reprisal uh, against families who have members uh, who died suspectedly of coronavirus. There's a fear within the community. Mm -hmm. uh, there's discrimination against refugees because they come mainly from Africa and Somalia. They are seen because of their on-the-move status as the one bringing the coronavirus into the community. And there's an element of racism as well. They are African, therefore they don't uh, follow the same sanitary uh, rules and so on. So there's all those misperception and myth around who can bring uh, uh, the coronavirus in the communities. So that, that racism that existed, I mean, racism, the, the prejudice that existed before that I know your organization and mentioned a few times, it's, it's only worsened? It's only worsened indeed. Um, we can see that uh, some people have been, uh, some refugees have been denied access to uh, health facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, they are the first one to be um, called names on the street in the community when there is an outbreak of the corona or the suspected outbreak of coronavirus. Um, we have seen that interestingly and worryingly um, with respect to internally displaced Yemeni as well. Because they are seen as on the move, they are seen as the one bringing mm. with them the coronavirus. So there is an element of racism for refugees, but there is also an element linked to the, the movement or to the migrat migratory status, if you wish, of, 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 of people. Um, what we have uh, uh, seen also with uh, the, the coronavirus is that um, people hesitate going to their health facilities. It's a mix of issues. First of all, in uh, Yemen, you died of many communicable diseases. 
the world was engulfed into the coronavirus at the time Yemen was in, starting to get the cholera season, the dengue fever, the chikungunya, mm -hmm. and the malaria. Mm -hmm. All the, those five uh, diseases with the uh, uh, coronavirus have the same symptoms. Fever, uh, maybe a bit of diarrhea, maybe a coughing, a stomachache, and so on. People are used, unfortunately, uh, to those uh, diseases and are used to die from those diseases. So they don't always distinguish uh, the coronavirus from other uh, um, diseases. On top of that, they know that the health facilities cannot do much for them. So yeah. why would you spend a little bit of money mm. to bring your uh, relative to a health center where you know that you won't be able to pay the medical fees, there's probably no medicine, and, uh, and you still have five children and probably elderly parents to feed at home. So there's also a misperception uh, on the part of the, of the population, or misgivings rather than misperception, of the population about um, bringing patients to health facilities. And we understand why. Mm -hmm. And how, since the start of the pandemic, how has your role as a UN agency shifted? You know, in the, you know, before the pandemic, it was all focused on bringing shelter from conflict, and now I guess you have to also focus on the pandemic. So how how is is, is this a problem, and what do you do in terms of funding? So we had a, we we had to adapt all our uh, intervention. You know, for a lot of uh, UNHCR work, it's related to interacting with people, uh, interacting with survivors of violence, survivors of sexual violence, in particular women and girls. This has to be done on a one-to-one -one in a very confidential space. Uh, it's a lot about helping people to get access to services or to identity documents, which require a release of physical interaction so that had to be uh, completely uh, shifted to um, telephone calls. Um, instead of doing a distribution of shelter equipment in a group, you, we have to do it one by one, door by door, which means that it takes four or five times more time to distribute uh, kitchen utensil or, or mattresses to, to, to people who have lost their, their home, which have been bombed uh, uh, in the conflict. So we had to change all that. And at some point, what was extremely difficult for me is that we didn't even have enough money to provide PPEs, the, the personal mm -hmm. protective equipment, like the mask and the gloves and hand sanitizer to my own staff and to the colleagues of the Yemeni NGOs. So how do you take the decision to send people out there in the communities with the coronavirus to try to help people who have lost everything? And a shelter is a critical uh, uh, need that needs to be rapidly addressed, but at the same time knowing that you may not be able to completely protect your own colleagues. Yeah. So there were some really difficult uh, ethical um, situation. We shifted to cash. We have a big uh, and, and the largest uh, cash program for internally displaced in Yemen. And that is really a good uh, way of, um, of helping people. Mm -hmm. Because with the bank, we have been able to space the collection of the money. 
So instead of doing it over a period of three days, no, the collection of money for the same number of people is done over a period of 15 days. Mm -hmm. So they, we, we calculated that they spend less than 21 minutes at the bank to get their cash. So they interact with less people. There's less risk that they uh, catch the, uh, the virus. We have put a hand washing station in the bank. So we can also educate people about how to wash their hands properly and remind them. Sometimes we give them a soap or an hygiene kit uh, so that we make sure that they are equipped uh, against the coronavirus. And the cash is really important because it allows them to probably limit a little bit their movement. They don't need to go out to uh, look for a job every day. So the socioeconomic element, but also it protects them against the discrimination that we were discussing before of not exposing them to other communities and being finger pointed as the refugee or the displaced who is a risk for the community. Uh, but as we speak now, uh, we are only one third funded. We are almost end of July. So we won't be able to, to finish the year mm -hmm. with uh, helping the, the most vulnerable. We, we are lacking 70% of the funding. Yeah, and considering that countries are, I mean, I think even before the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of attention paid to the conflict. Um, and now with every country focused on their own problems and their own economy, it's, it's going to be even worse. Probably are you expecting funding from anyone or? Now you are pointing out to a, a very um, worrisome trend that we see uh, all over the world in terms of humanitarian funding. As you rightly say, Marie, we fully understand that uh, Western economies, but also the Gulf countries, which have been uh, in the past generous donors in Yemen and elsewhere, uh, worry about their own economy and the impact uh, of the coronavirus on private businesses. We do recognize that they, there is a the need to invest more in public health systems. Mm -hmm. uh, in um, supporting the elderly uh, and so on and so forth, and persons with disabilities, which mm -hmm. have been particularly affected during the coronavirus. Having said that, uh, we still believe that there is a humanitarian and ethical imperative to help uh, Yemeni, like mm -hmm. a Rohingya in Bangladesh, or people displaced in Central African Republic or in Syria, or mm -hmm. closer to Canada, uh, the millions of Venezuelans who have uh, fled their countries and all those who are coming from Guatemala and El, Salva um, El Salvador or Honduras to Mexico trying to, to move up towards, uh, towards the U.S., which is made impossible now mm -hmm. for the search of, of safety. So we really understand this point, but there's still, as, at least I believe, an ethical imperative for us to help people who are even in a more dire situation. But there is also a self-preservation imperative, one which is related to public health, global public health. As it was said several times, nobody will be safe from the coronavirus if not everyone is safe from the coronavirus. Therefore, Yemen, as a few other countries, may be the weakest link these days. And if we leave a hotbed of coronavirus in Yemen, you can be sure that one day or another, this virus will come back uh, to the Western societies, mm -hmm. to the Gulf uh, countries. Yemen is a crossing point. A lot of Eastern Africans are using Yemen 
uh, as a migratory route to go up the Arabian Peninsula, the Middle East, North Africa, perhaps crossing into Europe or perhaps crossing into West Asia. Mm -hmm. So we are, we are going to be weak uh, mm -hmm. globally as long as we don't uh, protect a country like uh, and support a country like Yemen to fight properly the coronavirus. But at the end of the day, we won't be able to fight any of this misery in Yemen as long as there is a conflict. And in the meantime, the, the, the conflict obviously is still going on. Um, are, they, are there still daily attacks or, um, and how do you respond to them considering you have also to focus on the pandemic? We, we have seen actually uh, no lull in the conflict uh, despite all the appeal to cease fires. Uh, including during uh, Ramadan, which is mm -hmm. usually a period of time where uh, people stop uh, fighting as per the, the tradition. Uh, we still see almost every day bombing and fighting and shelling and fighting on the ground and uh, people being uh, displaced. We, we, we get bombing regularly here in Sana'a, in the, in the capital, um, mainly at night and in, in the morning. Um, so, uh, the, the, the conflict is certainly the, the root causes of all the miseries, I mean, coupled with the underdevelopment, because Yemen has not benefited for decades of any uh, serious development effort. But the two combined, so underdevelopment and conflict, means that we are in a terrible situation not to address the humanitarian needs. Mm -hmm. um, but as long as the conflict uh, lasts, we won't be able to address the underdevelopment aspect of it. So we build the, the health system, uh, have a functioning central bank so that we have a proper economy, uh, building school and so on and so forth. This is not possible to do when uh, the bomb is still being dropped on the, on the civilian population. So uh, for the time being, and that's really the focus of UNHCR in Yemen, we are trying to address the impact of the conflict and to some extent try to mitigate or to build the resilience of those populations against the impact of the conflict. Mm -hmm. And one, one last question, perhaps. I mean, I mean, you know that eventually, perhaps, we'll get a vaccine. Uh, my fear is, obviously, that the vaccine will go to Western countries first, depending on who finds it. In your experience, in terms of vaccines, when do you think or how do you, where do you think the focus will be on giving it to access to that to that vaccine to refugees and idps i, I think um, many have called for the vaccine to be a, a common public good and be uh, distributed at low cost or no cost preferably to the entire population because again it's the, the nature of the infection means that uh, um, as long as not everyone is protected everyone will be at risk mm -hmm. of contracting or recontracting uh, the virus no the the difficulty in a country like yemen is the logistic of bringing the virus then the logistic of asking people to come to the health facilities. As we mentioned previously, there's a bit of misgiving by the population about um, what they can get from going to a health facility in the first. Uh, in the middle of conflict, it's going to be extremely difficult to do a vaccination campaign because, again, we won't want to put at risk the nurses and the doctors by sending them uh, clo too close to, to an active uh, uh, front line. 
Um, so it will take time if a vaccine is developed and put uh, at the disposal of a country like Yemen for us to be able to vaccinate uh, everyone. And in the meantime, it means that we leave really literally millions of people exposed to another layer of misery. Uh, and that would be, that, that's my last point, is that really the coronavirus in, in Yemen is really the, the last straw which is probably going to break the camel's back mm -hmm. in the sense that people are very resilient. I mean, it's admirable to see uh, the, the Yemeni, the parents, uh, um, children, the refugees, the Somali refugees, how resilient they are, how the resources that they find to, to survive but honestly, it's difficult to see in the medium term, we're not speaking really long term, but in the coming weeks and months, how Yemen is going to, to survive um, with this additional layer of complication that the coronavirus has brought. At a time, the international community has not committed even half of the money that we need to provide life-saving intervention till the end of the year, not even half. Mm. And just final point, I know you meet a lot of people over there. Um, is there someone or a person or that st stood out for you, some, some story that you've heard from someone that, that perhaps you wanna talk about? Because I know it's, it's important for people to understand you know, to try and connect with the people on the ground. So perhaps if you have one one story or one person that stood out for you. A few, uh, more than a few of them stand up because as I said, I mean, the, the courage of the, of the people is, uh, is incredible. We have, for example, uh, Saad is a, a Somali refugee um, and he is uh, driving the ambulance mm. uh, to bring uh, refugees, but also Yemeni who live in those impoverished uh, neighborhoods where refugees and Yemeni live uh, side by side to bring them to, um, to a hospital. And we had uh, a, a young Somali um, man who probably was infected with the coronavirus, had an underlying medical condition which required regular um, uh, medical checkup, and Saad stayed with him till the last moment uh, to make sure that he will not die, um, and I get, sorry, a bit emotional, that he will not die, that he will not die alone because he was a Somali uh, young man without uh, any family. And um, the story continues that um, Saad and, and another group of people, including Yemeni, wanted to make sure that he will have a decent or dignified burial. So, and in, in the Islam tradition, you go fast to the, to the mosque and you do all the ceremony and you bury the person. Um, because he was suspected of COVID, her whole group was arrested, uh, detained and put in quarantine, uh, just for having tried to give a decent farewell to, to one of their brothers. Mm. I'm very sorry. Have you lost a lot of people um, close to you, or we 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 have um, a number of uh, UN colleagues who 
died from suspected COVID. We, we don't have always the tests, the capacity of the tests. We, we didn't have uh, medical equipment. It's coming now more and more, uh, including for national colleagues and who are really in the front line and who live in the community with the coronavirus. We lost uh, some life. We have a number of colleagues who uh, got sick. Um, and um, yes, it's difficult in those conditions to continue um, uh, delivering those life-saving intervention with uh, with everything which is on uh, on our mind. Plus the the bombing. I mean, I just want to say uh, a couple of weeks ago they were bombing uh, late at night, pretty loud one, and I was in uh, contact with my. Uh, national colleague out there and one of them and mother told me that was just the moment my kids were falling asleep again i'm going to spend uh, a sleepless night trying to reassure them um that they are safe and this colleague the following morning has to go to the office and leave the child the children behind mm. because she has also function to assume vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the yemeni population and the refugees it's it's tough well, Jean-Nicolas, I want to really to thank you for all your work and for joining us today. Um, we'll share this widely to let people know about what's going on and hopefully they can do a little bit of their part too. I know everybody, a lot of people are home these days, so I hope they'll, they'll watch this. So thank you again for, for joining us today. Thank you, Marie. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.